Hello and welcome back to Let the Stone Speak. I'm Brent Nuktagal here in Jerusalem, Israel. I just literally got back here in the office after walking uh, about nine minutes to Yad Ben Tzvi, a conference center here where there is a really important conference that's been going on for two days about the epigraphy in Judah. This is the second international conference of the Roger and Susan Hertog Center for Archaeological Study of Jerusalem and Judah. And our very own Christopher Eames was presenting there today. And so we got uh, the cameras set up and for today's program, I want to show you and play for you Chris's about a 25 minute lecture discussing all the Iron Age or First Temple Period inscriptions found in Jerusalem. Just an absolute mass of uh, epigraphic discoveries far outweighing any other city in Israel, uh, by far, uh, as he brought out just the, the different uh, seal impressions and monumental inscriptions, uh, Ostraka and things like that. So today is going to be a plug to our very own Christopher Eames presenting at this conference, where really there might have been 50 people there and you couldn't have got a more esteemed bunch of uh, expert epigraphers uh, from this biblical period Uh, In one room, anywhere in the world, I doubt there has been such a grouping of them before. And so it was really great that Chris could present this um, to everybody. So I'm going to play that. Uh, I did want to put a plug just before we go to him for our magazine again. This is our magazine on biblical archaeology that we uh, put together both here in Israel and back in the States as well with our design team. Uh, This is a magazine that goes through discoveries in biblical archaeology and biblical history as well. Uh, We just finished our latest edition that should be arriving in your mailboxes soon if you're already a subscriber. And this is going to feature the mighty music of the Hebrews, just a really fascinating account of the references to music and instruments in the Hebrew Bible. So please, uh, if you haven't and you're not a subscriber, go ahead and request a subscription to our magazine, Let the Stone Speak. Simply go to our website, armstronginstitute.org. And there, scroll down, you'll find a place where you can uh, sign up for your free subscription to the magazine. Again, this is something we're never going to charge you for receiving. Comes out six times per year, sent to you wherever you are in the world. But now, let's go over to Christopher Eames, recorded earlier today, here in Jerusalem, May 23rd, 2023, at the Conference on the Epigraphy in Judah. Okay, thank you very much, Matthew. Uh, I think my speech will dovetail nicely with yours from yesterday and also Professor Garfinkel's from earlier today. I want to thank Yossi and Mitka and Aharon, echo the comments that everyone else has, has made for putting together this excellent conference. And it's a pleasure to be before all of you and speak before such an esteemed audience. And hello, of course, to our members on Zoom. So, Uh, As is traditional sometimes with these uh, papers and publications, I did want to uh, dedicate mine in memoriam uh, of Dr. Elat Mazar, as was mentioned. Uh, She passed away two years ago this Thursday, actually, Uh, and so I wanted to honor her with this and also her husband, Yair Shoham. Of course, they played a Uh, a a huge role and left a big imprint uh, in this field of study. Uh, Elat Mazar in terms of the discoveries and then uh, Yair Shoham in terms of publishing uh, many of those finds. So so for for today's lecture, uh, Professor Garfinkel approached me about this idea a while ago 
of something missing somewhat in the uh, literature, and that is a corpus of first temple period inscriptions of Jerusalem. So these kinds of things are dealt with on a case-by-case -case basis, obviously, the seals or the ostraca or, or that type of thing. But with this, I want to bring together and show the full illustrative picture of uh, scribalism, of, of administration, uh, by, by showing all of these in, uh, inscriptions, epigraphic finds combined uh, in this corpus of Iron II uh, period Jerusalem. After all, this is a conference about epigraphy in Judah, and so we can't uh, overlook the capital of Judah, which is Jerusalem. So this will attempt to show the sheer administrative power, uh, scribalism, and potential literacy. Of course, we, can, we can't talk to that directly, but certainly administrative power and scribalism of Jerusalem during this period. So I'll just start by reading the abstract here. Now, this is a little bit different to what is published in the brochure there. There was a quick draft and there's some updates to that. But nevertheless, quote, no other site in the Levant has yielded so many Iron Age II inscriptions as Jerusalem. This richness is expressed by total numbers as well as by variety of forms. These inscriptions cover a broad range of not only media but also subjects, including personal names and or titles of kings, princes, governors, scribes and priests, several of which are biblically attested, as well as inscriptions of a historical, geopolitical, financial, commemorative, and religious nature, including the earliest discovered portions of biblical text. These inscriptions, both partial and complete, broadly span the Iron II period from the 10th century BCE through to the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians circa 586 BCE. Here we present a corpus of Iron II slash First Temple period inscriptions of known provenance discovered in Jerusalem, concluding that this abundance of epigraphic evidence from the capital city clearly demonstrates the presence of significant governing administration with flourishing cultural and intellectual activities, the background from which the Hebrew Bible emerged. Okay, so in putting together such a corpus, we need some parameters, of course. So we can only include items of non-provenance, and we also have to have a clearly defined geography. So what is Jerusalem? What is Jerusalem today? It's much larger, obviously, than the original nerve center of, this, of the city, which uh, for our purposes will be the city of David, the Ophel, the Temple Mountain, Old City uh, region, and the adjacent valleys, i.e. Hinnom and Kidron. So uh, we have a, a compilation of these materials from various sources, uh, for example, Achitov's Echoes from the Past, where he covers many of the most important inscriptions found in Jerusalem. We have, as was mentioned many times already, Avigad and Sass's Corpus of West Semitic Stamp Seals, and then various updates to that. For example, uh, Kiel's 2017 Corpus de Stempelsiegel Amuleta aus Palestina Israel, as well as various excavation reports, uh, volumes, individually published articles. So evidence of nearly two dozen different types of inscriptions have been found in Jerusalem, including but not limited to monumental inscriptions, funerary inscriptions, amulets, seal stamps, private bullae, fiscal bullae, public bullae, private handle seals, LMLK seals, or Lamelech seals, inked ostraca, pre-fired inscriptions, post-fired inscriptions, chiseled or incised, potter's marks, stone objects, metal objects, stone weights, 
and then circumstantial evidence of papyri, parchment, leather, and wood based on the reverse impressions of the bullet. So there's that caveat there for those last four items. So we begin here with our monumental inscriptions. Now, as was uh, mentioned briefly this morning, among Iron Age Judean sites, Hebrew monumental inscriptions are known singularly from Jerusalem, uh, with the only complete example being, of course, the Siloam inscription, 1.3 meters wide by about 27 centimeters tall. And this consists of six registers of text made up of 57 words consisting of about 200 letters. Now, of course, none of this will be new to all of you. I'm just hoping to put this together in an illustrative format for this, uh, for this workshop or conference, whatever you like to call it, uh, to show the full gamut of inscriptions that we have from First Temple period uh, Jerusalem. But besides this, we also have uh, an additional three fragments of what can likewise be classed as having originally constituted monumental inscriptions. And it's interesting when examining the size of the individual letters as well as their spacing. Uh, obviously, these are much smaller fragments, but there, there's the potential that these originally constituted much larger, more impressive, more visible monumental inscriptions than did the Siloam inscription, which the Siloam inscription would have also been a lot more hidden based on its uh, location. So all total, uh, we have four monumental inscriptions or inscription fragments uh, with a combined total of 16 registers of text with 75 words made up of a total of 253 letters. So next we have what could justifiably be called in their own right monumental inscriptions. I mean, these are quite large, but these are more properly funerary inscriptions. Uh, we, these are all found, these four inscriptions from the Silwan Necropolis. Top left, we have Tomb 35, the Longer, uh, otherwise known as the Tomb of the Royal Steward. And of course, this inscription is popularly referenced in relation to uh, Shebna, or the Tomb of Shebna, talked about in Isaiah 22. Uh, what with the parallel titles uh, of Asher al-Habayt, uh, given to both of them, the associated curses. Hot topic has been Arul lately. Um, and unfortunately, of course, it's missing the... Oh, where are we at? It's missing the uh, name of the owner that has been removed in the past by some kind of reprobate, but... Uh, at least there's a Yahwistic element at the end, which some have also linked to Shebna, as that name is sometimes reproduced as Shebnayao. So anyway, all of that to the side. We have Tomb 35, the longer. Underneath we have Tomb 35, the shorter. We have Tomb 3, or otherwise popularly known as the Tomb of the Pharaoh's Daughter. And then we have Tomb 34 underneath. So we've got a total of four funerary inscriptions with 30 preserved or restorable words made up of 95 letters. Okay, next up, we've got the Ketef Hinnom uh, amulets. And it's a pleasure to see uh, Professor Gabriel Barkai here. These were, of course, found by his team in 1979. On the left, we have Ketef Hinnom 1, which... Uh, famously includes text that is found in Numbers 6, verses 24 to 25, as well as Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. And on the right, we have Ketaphinim 2, which contains, again, parallel text from Numbers 20, 
Numbers 6, verse 24 to 26 this time. So for this slide, I've made them both the size, same size, but as you all know, the one on the left is significantly bigger at about 10 centimeters tall, and the one on the right, 4 centimeters. So between these, we have 30 registers of text made up of 45 words, uh, and that's made up of 162 letters. Okay, the most interesting thing, I think, are the seals, as we've been hearing a little bit about lately. So I want to lead this out by quoting from Reich and Sass in 2006 in their article, Three Hebrew Seals from the Iron Age Tombs at Mamilla, Jerusalem. They write, quote, Jerusalem with nine seals is the site with the largest number of seals found in excavations, whether inscribed with Hebrew or another language. This phenomenon coincides with the fact that in Iron Age II, Jerusalem was the capital city of Judah, the royal court and the temple of Yahweh, and the seat of all institutions with extensive enough administration needs to require the use of inscribed personal seals. So if nine seals was enough for them to make such conclusions back in 2006, that is more than triply so today. So today, uh, based on the, the corpus that we've been putting together, there is 32 different seals. This is just a sampling of some of the more uh, beautiful ones. 32 iron to provenance epigraphic seals found on, epi uh, on excavations. So as uh, was mentioned by Professor Garfinkel earlier uh, in his 2020 paper with him and Anat, uh, they highlighted 20 seals from Judean sites other than Jerusalem. And as he covered, we have five from Arad, uh, four from Elchish, three from Engedi, two from Ramat Rachel, and then single seals from Hebron, Tel Anazbeh, Gidon, and Kiryat Yarim. So Jerusalem alone then has a third more seals than all of these sites put together, seals with epigraphic uh, material on them. But what's further interesting are the women. So these are the seals belonging to uh, elite Jerusalemite women. Uh, of course, the one on the left, top left is Shlomit. Uh, the one on top right is Le'alehana, Bat Gael. And I'm not gonna put myself on the spot for the bottom, they're a little more blurry, so I can't read those quite as easily on the spot. But these are the four female seals that we have from Jerusalem. Right, uh, yeah, that's the bottom right one. Yep, Bat Menachem. Uh, and then Bat Pekat on, on this side. Yaochanan, I think. Something, something like that. Okay, you get the picture. So, uh, as they point out in their 2020 paper, this shows the special presence of high-ranking female officials in Jerusalem. So, we have four out of our 32 seals, but actually it's even better percentage than that, because several of those seals are quite damaged, and it's impossible to tell, okay, was this a male owner of the seal, or was this a female owner? So, if we look at the, comparing the seals where we know this is a female seal or this is a male seal, we actually have 4 to 20, or 1 in 5 or 20%. Uh, and uh, I think there was a 2008 publication by you, Professor Barkai, uh, where you mentioned five additional seals as part of, at that time, a group of 28. Uh, five additional seals, which I haven't included in, in this corpus, uh, that don't quite fit exactly the parameters, but, but more than likely, they can be considered as one and the same, which would bring our corpus to 37. And it's interesting that one of those five 
belongs to a woman as well. So there you have 20% ratio uh, continuing there. So maybe it was higher, maybe it was lower, but it's interesting just to see that high percentage that we don't see anywhere else uh, of female to male seal owners. Okay, next we have our private boy. So pictured here are some of the more famous ones, of course. We have the Hezekiah Bola, Lechezkiah, Achaz, Melech Yehuda. We have Leshayao, Navi, uh, reconstructed by Elat Mazar is most likely with the Aleph on the end, referring to the prophet. Uh, we have Lenatan Melech, Eved HaMelech, um, uh, likely mentioned in 2 Kings 23 verse 11, I think. Uh, here we have Legedaliao ben Pashchol and Leochal ben Shalemiao ben Shavi. And so these, of course, are mentioned in Jeremiah 38 verse 1 and Yochal mentioned in 37 verse 3 as well. We have Legemariao ben Shafan, or yeah, he's mentioned in Jeremiah 36 verse 11 and Leazriao Ben Hilkiao, which is in in the list of names in First Chronicles nine verse eleven and Ezra seven verse one. So in total, we have one hundred and fifty-eight private bullae on this list, and I'll be happy to to discuss like with Anat and and increase or slightly decrease the list. But this at least gives you a general picture. So we have a total of one hundred and fifty-eight private bullae, and most of these come from huge hordes. In Jerusalem, of course, we have Shaham's uh, publication of Shiloh's hoard, which was uh, which was 45 epigraphic bullae um, out of let's see, 53. I'll get to that in a minute, though. Uh, but other big hordes, such as Elat Mazar's Ophel Area A, her City of David Area G, and uh, I'll mention that a bit more in a second. Here we have our fiscal bullae. The beauty in the middle there, the Bethlehem Bulla, the uh, first, first temple period Hebrew reference to the city that was discovered. So here we have our three Bulle. Uh, we already saw two of them in pic picture form already today. So we have 35 fiscal Bulle known, uh, but most of them unfortunately all unprovenanced, except for these three, which all derive from Jerusalem. And I think uh, Professor Barkay also speculates with, uh, with, with Deutsch that all of them most likely come, uh, uh, from, came from original excavations in Jerusalem. But nevertheless, we have three here from Jerusalem. Then we have public bulle or a public bulla. Uh, this one from the excavation of Vex Libdola and on. And in, intriguingly, we have the inscription here, Lesar Ir. So missing, of course, the Yud in Ir, but more uh, interestingly missing the definite article. So Lesar Ir instead of Lesar Ha'ir. So, uh, so a very interesting public bulla. Uh, but perhaps even more significant than these are the backsides of them. So the papyrus impressions. So uh, if we're talking about all of these bulle, the public, private, and fiscal, we have a total, at least in this corpus, that's likely to grow uh, by, by a few here or there. We at least have a general total of 162 bulle with epigraphic material. But here we have, obviously, just the very faintest ghosts of the real epigraphic uh, administration, the scribal, uh, scribalism going on in Jerusalem 
with what would have been originally contained in these papyri. <coughs> so the majority of the bullae that we do have, uh, the majority of them are either unidentifiable with their reverse imprints, but when they are identifiable, it's mostly papyrus. So majority papyrus impressed, fewer fabric impressed, and then parchment leather or wood, i.e. wooden tablets. So as significant as the bullae are for the study of epigraphy, they only give this faintest hint to more administration going on. So of the 162 bullae, we have 77 that are published with papyrus impressions on their rear. And again, this only gives a somewhat blinkered view of the administration going on. So in Elat's uh, Ophel Area A, we're only including 25 out of a total 34 bullae because the additional included uh, simply iconographic material or, or, or that type of thing. From her city of David, we have only 57 out of 256 bullae. Shiloh, we have 45 out of 53. And Uziel, we have in the city of David, 13 out of 68. Okay, really quickly, I'm out of time, boy. Uh, we have, I started a little bit late though, so hopefully I can, I can make up a few minutes here. Private handle seal impressions, we have 13 with 24 personal names, 22 of them unique. Also note another female official here on the bottom right. Lamelech seal impressions, um, obviously we found more than just that one. Uh, these are somewhat difficult to, to compile, they're a lot more underreported than other kinds of inscriptions. Uh, but in total, based on what I've been able to uh, determine, in addition to that, web, that great website, uh, lmlk.com, uh, and additional materials, there, I have a total of 317 Lamellic seal impressions, 113 of which are identifiable by city, i.e. the Memshet that we have here. So of these 113, we have 40 mentioning Hebron, 34 mentioning Ziph, 24 Memshet and 15 Soho. As far as Ostraca go, uh, we have 21 Ostraca uh, from Jerusalem. This, of course, the probably the most famous, the Ophel Ostracon from McAllister's excavation. We have the pre-fired pithos, uh, pre-fired -pre inscriptions, famously the Ophel Pithos there, uh, which has been making the rounds lately. Congratulations to uh, Dr. Daniel Weinstub for that. Of these, we have a total of nine uh, post-fired inscriptions. Here's Elat Mazar next to one of her uh, pithoi from the Ophel, from what she calls the Royal Bakery, pointing to the inscription here, Lesar Ha'o Alefav, which she uh, recreated as Lesar Ha'ofim, belonging to the minister of the bakery. So we have 49 post-fired inscriptions. Uh, let's see, just blasting through the last here, we've got this weird stone object from Shiloh's excavation, which was originally published as possibly a weight. I believe now uh, it's more generally seen as a scribal exercise. Uh, so in total then, we have a grand total uh, of 614 different Iron II First Temple period inscriptions. But this is still an undercount because these uh, are all the inscriptions of greater substance. There's dozens more that I haven't included here, like all the inscribed weights that we have, dozens of these. We've got the uh, enigmatic potter's marks, uh, these tough symbols or strange uh, 
uh, cross symbols, also some with pei or kuf, perhaps referring to Corbin. So from Shiloh's excavation, there were 304 of these alone. So just an immense amount of, of these that we could potentially include. And even still, this corpus gives us a, a blinkered picture because we're looking solely at the nerve center of Jerusalem. And we should really consider uh, sites such as the Anona administrative building, Amon Hanatziv, further down the road, Ramat Rachel. Like these weren't just independent sites. These were part of Jerusalem's administration. And of course, we've got many famous uh, discoveries from these recently, such as the 124 Lamelech seals from Anona, uh, alongside 17 private jar handles. So I'll, I'll just conclude with that. I had some more seals uh, and such, because this only is uh, are the epigraphic remains. We have many more iconographic remains, uh, seals, uh, over 60 of them from the earlier period in, in Iron II. So from the mid 11th century to the 8th century, most of these iconographic seals come from the 10th to 9th century. And we have nearly double the amount of these as we do epigraphic seals from the latter half of the century. And these are mostly addressed by Kiel, uh, but, and also the iconographic bullet. And so these also, though, speak to administration and particularly the papyrus impressions on the rear of these iconoboli as well. And even though we don't have the papyri, I think it's kind of fitting that one of the few first temple period, arguably, uh, papyri that we have is the Jerusalem papyrus, mentioning uh, Yerushalema on the bottom. I think that's kind of fitting that we have that tie in there. So I wanted to end with quoting from, I think, something we can all uh, uh, sympathize with, what's cited to the Kohelet, or the King of Jerusalem, sometimes translated as the preacher, apropos to the subject of scribalism and activity in Jerusalem. He says, and furthermore, my son, be admonished of making many books, there is no end, and much study is the weariness of the flesh. Okay, that's, that's all I can get through. Thanks very much for watching through to the end of this podcast. Thanks very much for Chris for the mountain of effort and work uh, that he put into presenting that. Uh, really, for the first time, uh, putting together in one single location. Of course, there'll be a forthcoming article about this as well. Published in the Jerusalem uh, Journal of Archaeology, Archaeological Research, I think I believe it is. It's for, from Hebrew University. We'll certainly let you know about that so you can read up on the study that, that furnished that 25-minute uh, lecture or so by Chris. Thanks for him again for the effort. Thanks also for Professor Yossi Garfinkel for inviting Chris to present on this topic at this esteemed conference. Certainly, we do value our our uh, partnership with Hebrew University, the, Arche the Institute of Archaeology there. Uh, we'll be just starting our excavations along with head of the Institute, Professor Uzi Levner, here in June 18th, just in a couple of weeks. Uh, starting next week, we've got a couple of volunteers flying in from the United States. There'll be 12 more that come in from the United States and the UK to join our team excavating there on the OFL. And we hope to present some updates to you in real time as this excavation goes on for almost two months. So thanks again, a bit long-winded today, uh, but thank you very much again to Chris and for you for watching. And please get a magazine. It's available to you wherever you are for absolutely free. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.